So it was way back in 1988 in a galaxy a long, long way. I mean, it's like a long time ago. Some of you go, what is that? Yeah, that was the year um, I was 25 years old. And uh, I had been serving prior to that with my grandfather, who was the founding pastor of this church. And I need to, I would like to take a little bit of time just to share some personal th things that before we go into the scripture and, and, and then talk about how it can apply. I had been with him uh, for a number of years. Um, again, I started serving it as a, as a, as a small church. Um, and I had been serving as a youth leader and then a youth pastor and, and then associate with him and, and I assisted him. But he had been for all his ministry, almost 30 years here in San Francisco as a pastor, just a pastor of a very small church. In fact, he, as some of you know this, but not everyone necessarily would, he was a bivocational pastor, which meant that he, the church didn't have enough to support him. So he, he drove a muni bus here in the city for all that time. When I was growing up, that's how I remember my grandfather, pastor and muni bus driver. And in fact, I used the, the connection quite often uh, to get my friends in, onto the bus when he was driving. <laughs> I remember that when I was a boy. But what, something happened in my life uh, when I was a teenager. I was not even 12. Actually, I wasn't a teenager. I was 12 years old. And, and uh, my brother and I, who's one you know, year younger than me, my, my mom and dad uh, split apart, ultimately were divorced. But part of that process was my dad sort of just disappeared in my life. He wasn't there. And because of certain things that happened, and one of which was I, made a, I, I had this really powerful um, experience with Jesus when I was just heading into my teen years, right at the beginning of those years, that really altered my life. And uh, I, I, was, I was able to connect with my grandfather. And he became, he was my father's father. And yet it was as if the relationship I never had with my own father, I had with him. Even though he was in his late 60s and 70s when we really intersected with life. And during that period of time, I even decided not to go to leave San Francisco. I had been born here and, and raised here, but had an opportunity to go to school elsewhere uh, for, for um, university. But I decided to stay here. And I ended up going to state just to be able to serve him. That was where I did my undergrad work. And I'll tell you, one of the things that it, it allowed me to do was stay connected to him. But again, growing up um, in, in, in the church and taking on more responsibility, the church was always, always a small church. And my job was to sort of help implement the vision that he had for it. And I tried to be as absolutely loyal as I could. Now, I remember in 1988, the reason I bring it up is because he, and, and his office is where our, our tech room is now, right to my right. And I remember he called me into the office. He said, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm 25. I just had our, we had our first, first child, Caleb, our boy, first son of our four children. And uh, he calls me in and uh, I, you know, again, this is the church he's pastored and, and founded and, and given his life to, and, uh, but never really saw it grow in any way, right? And he says, hey, um, uh, well, this is how he said it. He said, um, he hands me a piece of paper bigger than this one. I still actually have it. Now the ink is, is almost gone. You can just see a little bit of it. It's, he handed me a paper on the church stationery, and he said to me, you're in charge now. And then I looked on the paper and it said, thanks for the memories, adios. <laughs> I, I called, I, did, I said, Gramps, what are you talking about? 
Thanks for the memories. Adios. And he was a unique character. He moved away because he knew he was dying. And he wanted to create some space. And so for the next few months, I didn't realize it, but he strategically left. And um, he died four months later. Went to, went to be with the Lord. And I remember how I felt because I was, one, uh, I had a hard time grieving because I felt responsible for the church. And I, I, I didn't even know what I didn't know, right? I was still learning myself. And now, not only had I lost my grandfather, who had been like my father, but I lost my, my pastor. We were a non-denominational church, and I, 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 I lost my mentor. And then, and I know this is going to sound strange, like how could it be you're 50 years apart, but I lost my f- a, f- a friend too. And I felt like alone. But I wasn't. We had some good people, people who had come up with me through the youth group, and, and we were working together. And I, you know, one of the things that dawned on me was I could never pastor the church the way that my grandfather had pastored. I was a different person. And I started to seek the Lord with, with the team that we had. Uh, again, just about 70 of us. And we started to seek the Lord in, in 1988 and 89. And we, we decided to rename our church Cornerstone. And then uh, we also started to do something that was kind of starting to happen a lot in the 80s. And so we were moving. It, it was that people, and this hadn't really happened that much before, but people started focusing um, on mission statements. Up until that point, they really hadn't been drivers in culture. There was a, a particular book that was written in the 80s uh, by a man named Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he talked about beginning with the end in mind. It's a fantastic book, by the way. And in that book, many people started getting motivated. It was kind of like a, a cultural movement, both in business, profit, nonprofit sectors, and to write mission statements. And also, people were writing their own individual mission statements as kind of guideposts, like North Stars, why we exist. What is our purpose? You know, and so our church—it just happened to be that that's something that we were talking about. We said, you know what? We've never had a mission statement before. I think we need one for where we're going. So we started to think about who it is God wanted us to be, and what we felt like we were gifted to do, and who we were supposed to be as as a part of the witness of Jesus in this city. And I, I can tell you that we wrestled with that. We prayed about it. We ended up coming up with this mission statement, again, years ago. And I asked them if they could just put it up. Just so I realize not everyone is even familiar with it. But we wrote it out back, way back then, to be an exceptional outreach church, right, that establishes people as committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, outreach for us had to do with the idea that we wanted to be a church that was extending ourselves to reaching out to others to help them come to know Jesus. That's how we saw it. So we created a lot of things around that. Really, there were actually two formative experiences that I had that had a lot to do with how, how come we landed where we, we, we landed um, and why we ended up doing what we, we ended up doing. One of which was connected to something that happened, oh, when I was, was either a junior or senior in high school. And I was wanting to, I was inviting people, because I was excited about Jesus. And so I was wanting to invite people to come to church. And I was inviting my friends, people I was meeting in school. And I remember one time, it just stood out to me so vividly in my mind's eye. I, there was a, we had a school president. He had, never, he had never been exposed to church, maybe at one time a Catholic church, or, but I mean, had no real knowledge. He was already on his way to Stanford. He had, and I said, hey, I want you to come to church. We, we had struck up a friendship. 
So I remember him coming to church and I remember what happened. He came to church and the, the church, he, for one thing, there was all kinds of stuff that started happening that I could tell freaked him out. And there were things that he didn't know, like when they turned in your Bible to find such and such passage, all of us, right, we would be able to get there. He didn't know what he was doing, felt awkward. There were certain conversations that were happening, certain things that people were doing. It didn't make sense to him and he didn't understand it. And I, I had, I, I, by the time I was done, I realized that there was such a huge disconnect. I remember, and I'll not forget what he said to me afterwards. He said, Terry, I said, what do you think? He goes, Terry, I really like you. He goes, but... I don't think I'm ever going back to your church. Man, that place freaks me out. Like, it scared me. And I thought, oh, man, you know. And then I remember how I started, when I would try to bring people, I would spend, because there were certain things that, that happened, you know, that were part of the practice of the church. Because it, 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 our church was like this. It was really hard to get into and really hard to get out of. It was like one of those... You know what I mean? It was like, oh, you know, you real high commitment. And then, and then, you know, if you left, everybody noticed. Well, I started talking to my friends, and I realized I was spending huge amounts of time trying to prepare them for the experience before they came in. I remember how many conversations I would have, and I would say, hey, you know, when this happens, I just want you to. So I spent a lot of energy trying to prepare them for what they were going to process through, because they didn't have a lot of, they had no exposure. And when I, I thought to myself, if I ever get a chance, I didn't think it was going to end up being here. So if I ever get a chance to lead a church, I said, um, I'm really going to try, if God allows me, to try to create a place where it's safe to bring people so they can hear the message of Jesus and not feel odd, even if they don't know anything. Like, I really want to be a place where I want to encourage people to talk about the Lord with people they care for or are friends with and I want them to have a certain confidence that week in and week out, they can count on the experience. That nothing is going to be said that's going to overtly embarrass them to the extent that it will make no sense that there should be some access points. That I want to talk down to people and create we, them kind of scenarios. And I wanted to create a place where people could be exposed to the goodness and the life of God in a way that would complement the conversations that were going on, that I hope were going on outside of these walls. On top of that, I had this thing, and I know this is going to sound like a little strange to some people, but I had this like dream. I remember having it years later, right when we were just trying to wrestle with our mission. I remember having this little dream, and I walked into the church in my mind, right? I walked in, and all of a sudden I was walking in the carpet, in my, and again, in, this, in the, this dream. I don't have a bunch of bunches of them, but I remember this one. And all of a sudden I walked in through the church doors, and I saw the carpet, it, turned into, it started turning into grass, like it's just sprouting. And then a flower here and a flower there. And then I saw this man. It wasn't even like a man. It was like an image of one. And I saw this person bow down and start to worship God. And it dawned on me that there was something about the beauty of what was happening, a garden experience that was opening up a person, causing them to drop their guard and open up to worshiping God. And it started affecting how we started to think about church. We wanted it to be complimentary, a beautiful place. We started talking about how we could use art and music and even what was then just the beginning of technology to try to create an experience and an environment where people could get you know, exposure to the things of God and there could be great conversations that could happen. People could start thinking about their own lives. So in, in kind of a combination with wanting to have a place where people could be equipped to live holistic, 
healthy lives in Jesus so that it's not just learning about stuff that happened years ago in Scripture, which has value, but it's also learning how to make, take that Scripture and apply it into our lives so that it shows up in our relationships, how we can work through our own problems, how we can apply it when we're in the workplace. So this idea, and then also having the church so that it's both equipping people and at the same time a safe place to bring people that would create conversations about Jesus that may not have happened any other place, all right? So that was the idea. Now, that sh the reason I'm bringing that up is because it lays the root system for where we are now. Because what we did, in addition to a lot of the other refreshed things that we've been doing, both, again, inside, outside, and with, with a lot of the way in which we're approaching things right now, we also refreshed our mission statement. And I put it, we put it in the handout. You can see it in the right-hand column on the inside there. And I want to bring your attention to it. Uh, it says this, that our mission is to live out our faith in Jesus. And it's so simple, but yet it has deep meaning. And invite others into life with him. To live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. The idea here is that it's connected to our deepest values. Right? It has a lot to do with this sense that we want people. And you can see underneath it, we wrote something as well. See this right there? It says, when we do this right, we get out of our comfort zones. We take holy risks and we act as bridges to Christ in our relationships, we sum it up in three words, live it out, right? And this really has to do with this idea that, that we want people to be able to start thinking in, in our church why we exist. We want to talk about, we, we, we want to push outward, right? On behalf of the Lord, to live out our faith in Jesus. It means that we're being thoughtful. It means that we're being intentional about our actions, about the way we are living and again, about the effect that we have on other people. It's just very important for us. I mean, we, we really, this is a driver for us. And then you, you'll look in your handout there, you can see it, that we have uh, in Matthew 5, a passage that Jesus gave us. And I'd like you to look at it with me in Matthew 5 and just kind of see what we're talking about. But it says this, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, Right? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, what does this passage do? It places a priority, Jesus did, on good works, on goodness, on the quality of our life, right? How we live, our actions, our attitudes, our service, the way we treat people, for the, the whole point of this is he's saying, I want you to think about how you're living, about the goodness of your life, because I want you to be a difference maker for God. I want you people to be led to the Father because of the way they see you live. He's telling his followers that how you live matters. It's not just what you say. Now, it's a very important point. Now, take that passage that Jesus gave us, right, that clearly places the emphasis on what we do and how we treat others and the goodness of our life, the good works. And then contrast that with or put it right next to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, which is also there right in, your, in, the, in the column there. Where you can follow along in your Bible or in your Bible app if you have it. You can see this. This is what Jesus said right before his ascension. He says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples... That's a committed follower of all nations, of all different peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even in the end of the age. Now, 
Can you see the different accent that is being placed by Jesus? On the first passage, Jesus is talking about being a light, being a people committed to good works, talking about how we live. In the second piece, he's talking about how we need to be committed. If we love him, we need to be committed to helping people come to know him and become committed followers. He's talking about talking about him, proclaiming who he is, sharing who he is. This is summed up by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. And we'll just read through this passage quickly. It says, in fact, it says the message is very close. And I want us to just listen to this. Watch what it's saying. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Here it is. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now watch the series of questions that follow. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without even being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. Lord, who has believed our message? But faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. So what we see, you guys, is that this gospel, this good news, has been given to us to be given away. Do you see that? That we have been invited into the story of Jesus so that we can also invite others into it. Listen, this is why our church exists. We exist to invite people into the story of Jesus. We, we exist to reach out and to represent his heart and to share the good news of what he can do in a person's life. We exist to see people come to know him and be his disciples. That's our purpose as a people. And it's embedded. And, and I want to put up some principles around this that's for us to consider thoughtfully, okay? But one of the things, and again, one of the things that I, is pretty clear to me is that faith is ignited when people hear about Christ. Hear me out. Which means that people who know him and claim to love him need to both live a good life and be willing to talk about him. Because in some cases, the only Jesus they're ever going to see is the Jesus they see in the people that they trust, people like you and me. <laughs> so let me put a couple of things up there for us to think about that connect exactly to why we're saying what we were talking about. Here's the deal. Listen, words without a well-lived, good work-oriented life at best rings hollow. And you know it, and I know it. At worst, it can drive people away from Christ. So when someone's talking about the Lord and their life is basically a walking contradiction, I mean, how, okay, a lot of people have been very damaged because of hypocrisy or disconnect or lack of congruence. And I'm not talking about perfection. I am not. Because that's not one of us are there. We're not even close. 
We all have flaws. We all have weaknesses. We all have sins. That's a fact. What I am saying is there's a, a, there's a relative consistency that would cause people to say that when we act in a certain way that we're acting out of character as they know us. That, 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 there, that there's a consistency of our life that reflects something of God's reality. That we're not the same person we would have been because of what the Lord is doing in our lives. And that is a very important distinction. But listen, the same is also true on the other angle. And we'll, and we'll stick this up as well. Because for a follower of Jesus, and hear me out, I'm talking about a follower of Jesus. Good works, goodness, never connected to Christ in any meaningful way. Listen to me is of limited value. I didn't say it has no value, but it is so much less than it could be or should be. And again, it may cause people, I was having this discussion with, with my oldest son, it may cause people to like us and admire us and say, oh man, you're a good worker, or you're, you're an honest person, or, or you're, good, you're a good guy, you know, or you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a woman who I can trust, right? You don't jump in on stuff. But, if, uh, but I'll say this, if, if there is never a connection made between who we are and the one we serve and say we love, if that connection is not even made subtly or modestly, then we, then we in my opinion, have failed him, or at least, and I'm going I'm to use a word, I wrestle with it, we probably have passively denied him in some way. And I know that's a strong statement, but hear me out. In the end... We either love him or we don't. And when you love someone, you're not ashamed of them. This is either good news or it isn't. If it's good news, then it's worth sharing. It must be shared. And so I guess what I'm saying is, and here's the three, third piece, that both good works and good words are needed. Action and confession, service and benediction, faith lived, faith spoken, not one or the other, both and, with a little art sensitivity and joy thrown in. So we need to understand that shining our light then what? Involves both living and speaking. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, indulge me. Turn to someone and say, hey, it's about good works and good words. Say it, a couple people. Hey, it's about good works and good words. Come on. <laughs> it's both. And in light of that, let's remember, let's remember, especially for those of you taking notes there, you can take a shot of that, but let's remember that God, to ask God to fill us with relational discernment with conversational wisdom, and with courage. And I say this out of the conviction that there are people that the Lord has divinely set up for you to meet and talk to for, on his behalf. And I realize that there are some environments that are extraordinarily delicate. I've just talked to too many of you to realize that in the climate we have, you have to, you, it's, it's like, you have to be so careful. In the weeks ahead, we're going to look at a case study down the line of a man named Daniel, who is in the scripture. He's got a book named after him as well. His writing's profound, prophetic, but his example has so much to do with it about how to live in a, in a hostile environment and how to be a person of integrity 
and there's a lot to learn there. But I realize that a lot of us find ourselves in situations where we, we may need at times, Lord, to really fill us with relational dis discernment and, and just how to, how to know when we're able to, to share, when we're not to share. It, 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 it requires tact and thoughtfulness. But let me tell you, there might be some times where we don't even do it right. And someone says, wow, you know, how you say it matters. And I, look, I, I love words. I, I like words. How you say something does matter. But I'm going to tell you this. There are times where the bigger issue for God is not how you're saying it. It's just that you're willing to say it. And, and that you had enough. In, and you know what? Sometimes that authentic sharing of your story and what the Lord has done in your life is the bigger issue than exactly saying it correctly. In fact, there are some people, they may value that way more. That, that, that there are people that some of us can reach that, that I can't reach, that someone else next to us can't reach. There are certain people we're connected to, certain ways of engagement that just like it's the per you're the, you are the person to talk to them about the Lord. That is meant to be. And, that, that, and then when that happens, you know, Jesus said this. Check out what Jesus said. He talked about that we, need, we go out, he says, among, I go, I'll have them put that up there, the verse from Matthew. It talks about going out as wolves, right? I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And I want you to be as wise as a serpent, as gentle as a dove. I'm going to talk about that verse later on, too. But this is an interesting verse because he's talking about when you walk out there, you've got to know how to he goes, ask the Lord to help you to be wise and at the same time um, gentle, but not ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Wow, you don't know what I'm going to risk if I do. I don't know. I don't know every time. I'm not saying you take crazy risks all the time. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying be foolish or, you know, just start talking. Away. But I am saying is there are going to be times where we have to decide, do I love Jesus more? Is he, what does he mean to me? And if I'm hearing someone sharing their life and they're hurting, should I not speak up and say, hey, you know, you know, I, I, I go to church. Uh, hey, you know, how would you like to do it? Would you like to come with me? You know, it might be that simple. A life, you know what I mean? I'm telling you, lives get altered in divine appointments that, I, that turn into these conversations. And all of a sudden, someone, someone's heart, we were going, oh, you know, they'll never be open. They're more open. They're people that are, they're ready. They're ready. Just no one's talking to them. And I realize we live in a very angry age. <laughs> it's an angry time. Um, everybody's yelling. <sighs> Tweeting, right? It's like <laughs> everybody's taking up sides, you know, saying, you got to join in the vitriol. You got to be angry and mad at somebody. And I, some of that I get, but you know what? I just feeling like, you know, I, there's more than enough anger to go around right now. Thank you. Maybe, maybe I just want to like follow Jesus and try to have no malice in my heart. And just say, as much as I can, I want to live peaceably. As much as I can. I'm not, okay, I know. But I want to live for the Lord. That's my first thing that I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. See, each one of us has asked, what is my core, core driver? At the end of the day, where is my real identity? For me, it's as a follower of Jesus. That's my starting point. Everything else, 
secondary and will pass away. Here's another thought. Before life can flow out of us, it has to flow in us. So I can say live it out, but the internal work is imperative. There is no way to adequately represent the life of Jesus. We said live out your faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. Well, if there's nothing to invite him into, like remember I'm talking about these divine conversations, that happens when a person has open eyes. Because there's stuff happening all around us. It's happening on our jobs. It's happening with people that we're going to school with. There are people sitting by us at the coffee house. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying we're all to be the, talking all the time. I am saying that there are, when we, there's a lot of times when we spend time with the Lord at a private level, he will show up in a public way. Whatever shows up publicly is always a result of what's going on internally. The two are connected. That's why things like devotions matter. Taking time to honor the Lord in the early part of our day, reading his words, letting them sit in us, having godly conversations with other people who also love him and want to, we want to train and encourage each other together to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. That's why having a small group matters and why ministry, serving together, these things matter. Jesus was the originator of small group. He trained his disciples that way. Two is better than one. Three full cord, not easily broken. Never meant to be done alone. Life to go out of us has to come into us. It's how we made it work. It's how it works. It's how it works in the kingdom. We got to, to be, we want to be filled so we can flow. Lived in so we can live out. Okay, last one. Here it is. Got it? Here we go. Be happy. <laughs> or at least happier. Come on now. Right? Smile. Be a little more positive. I didn't, it's like we can say all, we can talk about Jesus all we want, and if we're just walking around depressed and sad all the time, <laughs> it's like, come and get what I have. <laughs> come and die. Follow Jesus. Right? I'd be happy. Jesus said, you know, he gave us the Beatitudes. We could, we, he says, be the blessed blesser. Not a fake smile. I'm not saying fake smile. I'm not saying we pretend when things are hard and they're not. But you know what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have a reason to be loved. Because he just loves me. I'm, if you're loved, can't be too sad. How much does he love me? This much. Gives it all. God spared not his own son. He loves us. He pursues us. He cares for us. He's given a presence to us and a promise of what is yet to be. He, he, the Lord is good. And the thing of it is, is that if, okay, when they saw Jesus coming, people in, in the Bible days, they didn't say, Oh, there he is, the unhappy man coming. No, no, he was a happy man. And it's a good example for us, because here's the thing, people, people they, they, they need to see that there's some, look, you'll notice, some of you may have noticed when you came in, that the outside of the building was painted, but it was the garage, church garage got painted as well. And in fact, if you, 
after service, you may want to just jump across the street and even take a shot and consider posting it and sending it off because it's kind of cool. It, it is a modern rendition. We hired um, one of the finest street artists, commissioned him uh, to paint that and to do that project, and he, he goes to our church. And we said we had a particular vision in mind because we were thinking about our mission statement. We are thinking, live out, live out, live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. Live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life. So you know what? Let's, when we do the painting, let's create something that gets it out. And this is, if you haven't noticed, this is like mural Mecca, right? Street mural. There, there is, if you go down, you've got, you got the mural alley. People, I mean, there are tours being led all the time. So I'm here a lot. I see it. And they're stopping to look at the women's bill, look at the mural alley. We said, hmm. And pictures, people were taking pictures, coming from all over the place. We said, you know what? Live out our faith. Why don't we, why don't we create something, make a statement about the goodness of God? We said, let's do this. Let's create. So there's, you'll notice there's, it's, it shows creation, but it also shows something else. On the garage door itself, notice this, if you haven't already noticed it already. If you haven't already put it, ah, right there. And the idea is, and it says John 3.16, for God so loved the world, I know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, that death would not be the final word, but that you would have the undying, everlasting life of God. And the idea was, we said, okay, let's figure a spot where the shot will be taken, and let's embed the scripture into it, and then when it's taken, for whatever the motive, because it's a true statement, we wanted everybody to know it, said, that'll take the message of Jesus and then send it out who knows where. And then if you look closely along the wall, embedded in there are all our different key verses that when shots are taken, it will, it will carry it out. The whole idea is we want to live it out. And the idea of, love, of being loved, right? Come on. How good is that? I really feel like this. We don't realize it, but the feels. Jesus said to his disciples, look, and it says that he's, okay, he said, the crowds, he looked at them and he had compassion on them, the people. I just read, went back and reread it in between services. <coughs> I was thinking, where was that? Where was that? It, said, in the con it says, the crowds, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on the people. He saw them as being harmed. And he saw them as having no shepherd. He saw people basically troubled everywhere. And he said to his disciples, you need to lift up your eyes. He goes, did you see? He says, the harvest is plenteous. The fruit is overripe. There are people who need so badly. He goes, but there's no one to harvest. And then he told them, interesting, he didn't even say, you go out into the harvest. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest because the field is white unto harvest. And I kept, I'm thinking, Lord, there are people all around us who are just waiting at some point for someone to just talk to them about the Lord. And, it, and I have a feeling if that someone, some of us are going to change people's lives forever with a single invitation. And then on top of it, the lives that get affected out of that, some people, because of your, I'm going to say it, I'm a, because of your willingness to step forward in even a small way and invite someone to just be present with the Lord. 
that will actually end up affecting, in some cases, people who will be born that you will never meet. Some of us are here because someone long ago connected to someone who connected to someone who connected to someone, and it connected to us. If you could see strings over time of people who shared and how each of us were affected, it'd be like this maze of strings, different people affecting others for Christ. Who's the person that we're supposed to touch? Let us be courageous. Let's live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into him. Let me pray. We'll bring this down to a close. I'll have our time of giving and closing song. But even now, Lord, I thank you for the great, great privilege uh, of being able to talk about what you can do. And I ask that you would help some of us to really to live more like you, to live better, to live more biblically aligned lives. And we need your grace to do that. But there are others of us, Lord, that honestly, the real challenge for us is just not to be ashamed of you. It's amazing. We'll talk about all kinds of things. But to take that risk to talk about you, that scares us. Sometimes because of the consequence, sometimes just we just don't want to take the risk. Help us to remember to not be afraid and to not be ashamed and to identify ourselves with you. You're the great, you're the, you're the great unifier. You're the great unifier. In an age of division, you're the great unifier. I ask that you would just speak to all of our hearts. Be with us as we close the service out. Help us to be lights. Help us to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God.